There you have it. We just read up another amazing episode of Healthy Voices Radio with uh, mental health advocate Lee Thomas. What amazing work they're doing up there in Canada and um, just around the world. I'm, I'll tell you, Robert, I'm so impressed by their advocacy and everything, that how open that they are about about their eating disorder um, and, and everything that they're doing around mental health. Uh, it's such a great episode. So be sure right now to hit subscribe on your favorite podcatcher of choice so you can always know when a new episode of Healthy Voices Radio comes out. You are listening to Healthy Voices Radio, where you will hear podcasts featuring stories from our Healthy Voices family, hosted by amazing advocates, interviewing amazing advocates. Now, here's your Healthy Voices Radio host, talking all things health-related, Robert Brining and Brady Dale Morris. Hello, everyone. I'm Brady Del Morris, and along with my co-host, Robert Brining, would like to welcome you back to Healthy Voices Radio. Healthy Voices Radio is produced and sponsored by Jansen, the founder of Healthy Voices, a groundbreaking leadership conference created exclusively to empower online health advocates. For more information on Healthy Voices, please visit HealthyVoices.com. Also, be sure to follow at Healthy Voices, that's H-E-A-L-T-H-E, B-O-I-C-E-S, on Twitter and Instagram for updates on this podcast, as well as Twitter chats, webinars, the 2020 conference, and much, much more. And while we're at it, don't forget to subscribe to Healthy Voices Radio on your favorite podcatcher right now so you're the first to know when a new episode is released. I also have a few disclaimers before we bring on my co-host. If you need medical advice or have questions about your treatment or condition, we urge you to speak with your doctor as we cannot provide any medical advice. For regulatory guidelines, we are not permitted to discuss any medications or products during the episode. All information shared or later posted about this podcast will be done so in a public capacity. For that reason, we will not be sharing any personal or confidential information we don't want others to know. And for the same reason, we will not share any personal information about another person during today's episode. And last but not least, Jansen has paid Robert and myself to host and produce this podcast. All thoughts expressed here are our own. And with that said, I want to welcome my amazing co-host, Robert Brining. Hey, Robert. Hey, Brady. So good to be here again on another episode of Healthy Voices Radio. We're actually winding down the second season, and you know it feels good. We're getting a lot accomplished. We talked to a lot of amazing advocates, and we have another one coming up um, today. Our guest today is yes, uh, Lee Thomas. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, um, yes, let's talk about today's advocate, because I have been so excited for this this episode. Um, so tell us all about our guest today. Yeah, Lee Thomas is an international speaker, writer, and advocate based out of Canada, Calgary and Alberta specifically. Lee speaks to groups of all ages and sizes about mental health and queer issues. They are a mental health first aid instructor and an ASIST trainer, two-time TEDx speaker, and currently a master's of social work student. When Lee is not doing advocacy, they are found updating their dog's Instagram. So you're going to have to get that uh, when we come. But Lee was actually there when the idea of Healthy Voices Radio came into our mind. So I'm very excited to have Lee with us. So please help me welcome Lee Thomas to the show. Hey, Lee. Hey. Hi, guys. How are you doing, How Lee? How are you? Oh, good. You know, it's minus 40 in Calgary, so everything is uh, just peachy keen. Really excited to be on the show with you guys. Highlighted my day. <laughs> 
So wait, this Southern boy, I cannot even fathom. I cannot even fathom that. Um, you're stronger than I am. I couldn't do that. <laughs> like Robert was saying, I'm, this is an episode of the show that I have been waiting for because you were there when the concept of Healthy Voices Radio was born at the Healthy Voices Conference in Chicago um, over a big, deep-style pizza that was too big for any two people to try to eat um but so we're so excited to have you here today so thanks for joining us yes i have such fond memories of of that night and that pizza (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was definitely a good time right for um for our listeners what led you to advocacy what 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 brought you to to healthy voices Yeah, so uh, probably like a lot of people, I got into advocacy because of my own personal experiences. Um, So I lived with an eating disorder for many, many years, um, and then I ended up getting diagnosed with just like a whole whack of other mental health concerns, Um, lots of fun for me, Um, you know, bipolar anxiety, all that good stuff. And so I started with um, an anti-stigma campaign that I did through uh, where I was doing my undergraduate degree. And it just kind of spiraled. Like, life brings you in strange directions. Um, and I really think that <laughs> I, I think that it's just like um, I happen to have the exact right experiences and the exact right skill set in terms of being, you know, articulate and palatable and wanting to talk in a certain way. Um, and, you know, the the desire to talk about stigma at a time where those conversations were really starting to happen. And I think if any of those elements weren't there, I probably wouldn't have ended up in the advocacy roles that I'm in now. Um, so sometimes it feels like a lot of luck, um, but that's how right, it is. Advocacy. Right. Well then tell well, us about that. that you were always, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say, is it safe to say that you were always like a outspoken kid? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I was. I, think back about like my poor teachers and my poor parents um, who I was I had a very strong sense of right and wrong and uh and it I think made life pretty difficult for them (laughs) well Lee I'm curious can you take us back how old were you when um when you were going through your eating disorder um so I started developing my eating disorder when I was about 12 um, it's kind of, it's hard to pinpoint, honestly, just cause by the time I was really aware that it was like a, a, a thing and not just something that I did, but like actually a thing that could be diagnosed and was like an actual problem. It was already like right. such a big part of my life. Uh, so I lived with my eating disorder, like actively in my life for, um, six years. So then when I was 18, it was the first time I kind of sought help for it. Um, and it wasn't that, you know, I all of a sudden was like, oh, I have an eating disorder and I deserve to get better and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was really just, I was like, oh, okay, this this sucks. This sucks so much that it. I'm finally at a point where I'm less afraid of getting help than I am of continuing to live this way, basically. Gotcha. So that's well, kind I'm, of the turn I'm, of the tide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it's we do kind of have this idea, and I think it holds a lot of people back from seeking help that, 
you know, one day you'll kind of think that you deserve help or you'll be sick enough to deserve help. Um, but even like for a long time, even when I was receiving help, I didn't think that I deserved it. It was more just, I, you know, I had tried the one thing I had tried the having an eating disorder for six years that wasn't working for me. So why not give this other thing a try? Um, so it wasn't even really hope that kept me going. It was just kind of like resignation, (laughs) I guess. Well, then what led to, what led to you, um, to getting, or, you know, dealing with and addressing your, your eating disorder? Um, I think for me, it it really became unsustainable. Um, I have a, I would say an extremely stereotypical story about my eating disorder in a way that like I find infuriating um, because I love to think of myself as very special. And then I hear about like the stats on people who (laughs) experience my story the exact same way. And I'm like, okay, okay, cool. Love it. Um, Right. But my eating disorder got much, much worse when I was in university. You know, I was living alone, um, really had no one to pay any attention to what I was eating and wasn't eating. And um, I had bulimia. So it's like a binging and purging eating disorder. Um, and when there was like no oversight and no need for secrecy, it just became like my entire life. Anytime that I wasn't working, I was engaging in some sort of disordered behavior. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard to describe like what the tipping point felt like. Cause I would love for it to be like kind of a, a big dramatic watershed realization. Um, but it, the the knowledge that I had to get help snuck up on me, just like the eating disorder snuck up on me. Right. No, I totally get it. Well, we talk a lot about um, support and all. What was what was that like for you during when you went to seek treatment? Yeah, I feel very lucky. I uh, I went to seek treatment at like my university um, like health center, and it was in the summer, so they had lots and lots of time to pay a lot of attention to me, um, and. I happened to get a really great counselor who um, I think was not particularly knowledgeable about eating disorders, but was really, really willing to put in the work. And so we were kind of able to learn together. Um, I know a lot of university counseling centers now have like pretty strict limits on the number of sessions you can have and that sort of thing. Um, But that was not the case when I was first seeking help. And I feel really lucky for that because I would have blown past that limit immediately Um, and Lee and I think that's an important aspect I think that's an important aspect to really point out is that you felt like you had a real healthcare team you were part of a team um instead of trying to go at it and it's from different directions you said that y'all were going to learn together and I think that's really fundamental and being able to to move forward yeah, and I um I actually I'm hoping to uh move back to New Brunswick when I graduate and I met with the the student wellness center and they were saying how they didn't have anyone who felt very comfortable working with people with eating disorders anymore. Um, just because like, you know, people come and go from those roles. And I was thinking about, you know, what a loss that is because we know that there are so many people with eating disorders living on university campuses. We know that, um, you know, early treatment and early intervention is so important, but a lot of practitioners I know are very intimidated to work with people with eating disorders. There is a lot of stigma out there. Right. What actually are some of the stigmas that are surrounding eating disorders or maybe some misconceptions that a lot of us, um, you know, may have? Yeah. um, I think there's a real kind of impression that eating disorders are something that only affects kind of 
um, you know, middle to upper class, cisgender white women, basically. Um, and granted, it is something that affects a lot of those people. Um, but it's also, you know, the way that research happens. We see this in trans communities as well. Like the way that research happens kind of creates an expectation. And then because that's the expectation, that's the only people who get included in the research. So it's this like kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where if we think right. that eating disorders only impact, you know, thin cisgender white women, then if we see someone who doesn't fit that category, we don't think they have an eating disorder because they don't meet our criteria and then they don't get included in future research. Right. So um, I think that's a big misconception. I hadn't even thought about it, but you're right. I mean, and it's even perpetuated in, in media or in movies and TV shows. It's just like mm-hmm. you said, it's, you said the blonde skinny girl, valley girl or something like mm-hmm. that helps perpetuate that stigma, <laughs> that stereotype. Yeah, yeah and you always, see that you know, in, um, in trans that, communities, you know, too. Yeah. I was curious if that was, like, how that affects the LGBTQ community at all. You know what I mean? Because you really don't see that, like you were saying, Brady. So, you know, that's a kind of a conversation that should be had, you know, at larger scales. And that's a conversation that I believe you're having. <laughs> yeah, I used to talk about how I thought everyone with an eating disorder was pretty and skinny and quiet and straight. And that was none of those things. therefore i couldn't have an eating disorder um and we do know especially in like trans communities eating disorders run rampant but it's so hard to identify and find appropriate treatment right Mm. right yeah i mean i know personally i have i I had not heard of, of any kind of particular services or programs or anything that brings any highlight to it. And the only reason I even know it exists is because of you and your advocacy work. Yeah. It's, it's the, the double-edged sword, right? Where I'm like, Ooh, I get to be, you know, one of the, one of the leading people in this field, you know, talking about this stuff really prominently. Um, and so on the one hand, you know, I'm like, Oh, great. Yay for me. But on the other hand, I'm like, I would actually really like it if a lot more people were talking about this, please. <laughs> Um, right. Kind of like how going back well, to New Brunswick, you know, there's not a lot of eating disorder services, and I'm like, yay, I'll get to provide, you know, a lot of them. And then I'm like, it, it would actually be really great if other people did it, though. Well, along those lines, what are some of the the accomplishments that you've already accomplished in your advocacy work, or some positive movements that you've seen? Yeah, um, it's funny because when like the word accomplishments, I think. Um, it it lends itself to me thinking about like, oh, like, you know, awards and recognitions and that sort of thing. And I feel very lucky. Like, I feel like I I have, you know, gotten a lot of, a lot of great recognition and I love it the way that anyone loves receiving recognition for their work. Um, But when I think about um, those moments where like, I'm kind of feeling down on myself, feeling like, oh God, what is like the point of this work that I'm doing? Um, And I need that hope and encouragement. I don't think about like, oh, well, you know, Cam H recognized you in 2017 or that sort of thing. I think about the messages that I get on Facebook or the people who come up and talk to me after my presentations. Um, and it's those individuals who, who stand out. And, and that feels like the real accomplishments for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally understand. Well, one of the things that I noticed that you accomplished, Lee, was in 2014, you uh, founded the hashtag My Definition uh, poster campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was about and, and what it felt to create something like that? Yeah, so my definition was kind of the the beginning of my formal advocacy work. Um, 
And it basically stemmed from, uh, I posted on my Facebook page, <laughs> like not like, like my personal Facebook page. I basically posted something about um, how I was a person living with, at that time was diagnosed with depression and an eating disorder. Um, and I went to a small university and was like a fairly prominent person in like just the community because it's a small university and I was like an RA and I was with the student union and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I, I posted about it to kind of be like, you know, this is something that affects me. And I wasn't really expecting the reaction that I got, which was just like huge. I had a lot of people, you know, messaging me and getting in touch with me. And I felt like it was a lot of people basically saying kind of the same thing, which was, thank you for sharing your story. I don't feel as alone. You know, I have a story I want to share too, but also I don't want to share it because I'm really, really afraid that it's going to change the way that people look at me forever. Um, And I thought that that was like so messed up that there were so many people feeling that way. And so I got kind of a group of people together through the student union and we, we brainstormed and we really had this idea that we wanted people to know that, you know, your, your mental health didn't have to be the defining feature about who you are. Um, and awesome. so that's kind of so my definition. The whole stick is like, you get, you get to choose what defines you. Yeah, that's awesome. Congrats on all that. Um, that's incredible. So another thing I want to talk about is this uh, podcast that you um, have started um, called Crazy Talk. Is that something that you are still uh, doing or something that what, – what's going on with that? Because yeah. that's another, you know, good thing that you're, you're, you're putting out. Yeah, um, I've been winding down Crazy Talk a little bit while I'm in, while I'm in school just because it's uh, – I mean, as you a guys lot. know, it's a lot of work to run a podcast. <laughs> but so I, I ran it um, weekly for about a year. And it was just, it was awesome. I feel like I got to meet so many people and have so many interesting conversations because um, we had just like, there was a whole variety of people who we had on the show. We had people who um, talking about mental health was fairly new to them. We had people who had been talking about mental health for years. We had people who talked about their lived experience. We had health professionals. We had people who like their area wasn't really mental health. It was, you know, maybe uh, nutrition or theater or whatever. And we were able to tie those things into it. Um, I just, I felt like it was, it was an amazing experience for me. And I, I do want to kind of start it back up. Um, but I actually find that I, I like writing more than I like talking and I'm from the East coast. So I like talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I hear you. I totally hear you. But uh, the episode, just people go to your website, which is uh, leethomas.ca. There is a link there for uh, crazy talking, go there and there's um I think I saw somewhere 40-something episodes or, or like that there, 43, 44. So they can go and catch any of your mm-hmm. past episodes and get all the crazy talk they want, right? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's all up there Great. and definitely leethomas.ca, not leethomas.com. There is another Lee Thomas out there who's also a public speaker. Yeah. Good for him, but it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> so the other um, cool thing that I, I saw, that you're, you're also a two-time TEDx speaker. So can you talk a little bit about what you, uh, the presentations or the workshops that you did for that? Yeah. Um, so I did a, my first TEDx presentation in Halifax, Nova Scotia, um, and it was on kind of mental health and, and the stories that we tell. Um, and I think it, it was very similar to a lot of the conversations I have around stigma, um, and, you know, the idea behind my definition, where we don't have to get trapped in these stories that we are, that we're telling ourselves about who we are as people, about who we're allowed to be as people, and about 
you know, mental health. Cause I think that's what stigma is in a lot of ways. It's these very rigid stories that we've constructed. Um, and just kind of talking about the power of stories, which I think is so fun. Cause now that I'm, um, I'm in school to be a clinical social worker and, um, the, the therapy that I'm, I'm very drawn to and that I practice a lot from is narrative therapy. And it's basically, that's the whole premise as well, where it's all stories. And I was like, Hey, wait a second. Neat. I already think this. Um, so that was the first presentation. It was extremely nerve wracking for me. Um, and, and, but, but uh, just a really great experience. Um, you know, great host got to meet the other speakers. It was, it was just awesome. And, and later, I think maybe two years later, the university that I spoke at, Dalhousie University, ran their own My Definition campaign, which was awesome. And uh, the second TED Talk was at the University of New Brunswick, and it uh, was about they pronouns um, okay. and just about um, using the singular they as a pronoun and kind of the, the politics around that and why it's a good thing to do. And uh, I think that one was right. funnier, which is important to me. I love it. Well, Lee, with all the stuff that you and Robert have just been talking about, um, what do you do for self-care? How do you, what do you do to take care of Lee? Yeah, um, definitely something I've had to learn to do a lot more in the past couple right. of years. Um, I, I think I, for me, it's about letting go of kind of, again, those stories that were told. And I think even as advocates and even, you know, with mental health advocacy, there still really is this kind of narrative around, um, like, you have to hustle, hustle, hustle. Like, every single thing in your life should be related to your advocacy work. And it, it just, I, I, I bought into it for a long time, and I think a big part of my self-care is actively not buying into it. So right. I have intentionally started having big parts of my life that I don't share on my Facebook page or having hobbies that are not in any way related to my mental health advocacy and really making time for those. Um, and kind of like how I had to create like a real separation between who I am as a person and my mental health issues. I've learned I also have to create a bit of space between who I am as a person and my advocacy work. It's work I'm passionate about, but it's still, it's still work and not me, if that makes sense. Absolutely, and, that, and I think a lot of us, uh, you know, chronic uh, illness advocates, that's that's a great lesson that we can can all take with us. Is, and and we do, we have to separate the two at times, and and it's something that we all have to learn because it's it's not a lot of us come into this field automatically having that kind of skill set, um, but learning the the power of no at times is is so important. Yeah. Yes, because the power of yes will burn you out. <laughs> Yeah. It. And I really, it. for me, it like helps with thinking about every time you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So if I say yes mm -hmm. to an additional advocacy project, I'm saying no to time I can spend with my friends or that sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Lee, what kind of advice would you have for someone um, who's currently going through an eating disorder? Um, I mean, my biggest piece of advice is that you don't have to be sicker. You don't have to prove yourself in any way. Um, and also that I know anyone who's hearing this who is struggling with an eating disorder is thinking, maybe that's true for you, but it's not true for me because we always think that we're the exception to these things. Um, and right. so for me, it's also a bit of like fake it till you make it. You don't have to believe that you deserve help. 
before you seek out help. You can seek out help thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm so selfish. I'm the worst person for seeking out help. Um, you can, like, kind of do the action before the belief, and the belief will follow. By starting to take care of yourself, you then learn to believe that you are the kind of person who is worth taking care of. Great advice. Great advice. Well, Lee, how did you um, how did you find like your tribe, your community? Um, I I think there was a lot of trial and error for me, um, and I feel like it was it was an active effort. I even think about um, you know, there's there's various communities, right? Like there's the queer community, there's the eating disorder community. Um, there's a lot of overlap in those communities. I also have, you know, my community of people um, here in Calgary and my community of people in Fredericton. And I think for me, it's about really putting in the work to build that and tell the people in your community how important they are to you. Um, and that's been so, such, it, it sounds so silly, but it feels like such a scary thing, like to be able to, um, you know, reach out to someone who you're developing some sort of friendship with and say like, Hey, I, I'm really valuing like this friendship. Um, it feels foolish and I have yet to receive Not a negative all. response from it. Um, but yeah. I think we, yeah, we kind of think the people we value know how much we value them. And I think that that's actually not true a lot of the time. Yeah, and that's great advice as well. So, Lee, we actually met you at Healthy Voices in Chicago. Can you tell us about, one, your experience at Healthy Voices Conference and kind of um, how you found out about it? Yes. Um, so I found out about it through there's someone who runs an organization called Eating Disorders Nova Scotia, um, and I've worked with her for various projects for several years. And she sent me a link to it. No idea how she got it, but she sent me a link to it saying, this looks really interesting. You should apply. And um, I filled out the application form, and I sent in uh, a little video about um, how I – how online advocacy helped me to build a community and really, you know, change the way that I thought about, about advocacy and about even the knowledge of that I have about these topics. Um, and I'm, I'm not someone who makes videos really. Uh, so I'm sure it was like probably pretty rusty, but I put a lot of heart into it. Um, and then sent it away and kind of forgot about it. And then I got an email being like, you've, you know, you, you, you're, you've been accepted to attend this conference and then I started looking into it, and I um, I initially thought it might be some sort of scam because it sounded, like, too good to be true. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm sorry, like, everything everything is covered. It's like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to be flown out. There's going to be, like, a hotel, and, like, I'm, I'm not paying to attend this conference, and there's, like, stuff about, like, specifically topics that are going to matter to me and make my advocacy better. Like, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And then every step right. of the way I was expecting to somehow find out that this was a scam and that it just never happened. Like when I, I was like, well, when I get to the airport, they're like, you know, my flights won't actually be booked. And then I was on the plane and I'm like, okay, well, when I, when I land in Chicago, like the hotel's not going to be real. And then it just kind of was. Um, right. It just was that good. There, and then there's someone there holding a sign with your name on it. You're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. And I still remember, um, there's a, another advocate, Judith, remember she was in, in Chicago um, and she's from Montreal. So we, we were on the same flight and like, you know, we met at the airport 
in the van to Healthy Voices, and we're still friends. Like, it's awesome. It was awesome. It was, everyone there was just so genuine and so um, invested in connecting in a way that I thought was, like, very um, meaningful. Right. And it was just such an amazing experience. Like, I felt like I had been to so many conferences um, where I left well, feeling and- – Discouraged. Lee, you, you kind of touched on this. You, you kind of touched on this just a second ago, but but when I was talking about you know finding your community, we all belong to so many different communities, and we don't always kind of we get so into our own chronic illness that we we don't see the bigger picture. And healthy voices yes. let us really see some of the bigger intersectionality that we have, and 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 one of the reasons why I love having these conversations because we get to see a lot of the similarities that we have with other chronic conditions and chronic illnesses. And, and like you said, it just immediately formed some of these, these great bonds of friendship. Yeah. And it was just like, I felt like people were connecting more than just networking, if that makes sense. Um, like, you know, we, Absolutely, we were yeah. getting to know each other as people. Well, and then I have to, I have to also say we all got a really great glimpse as, to who you are and some of your comic genius during <laughs> open mic night. Tell us a little bit about that. You said it was your first time, I think, and doing it in public, uh, doing a public a set like that. Yeah, my first and only time doing stand-up comedy. Um, I, it was oh my goodness, such I cannot believe experience. it. It's, that hurts my heart a little to hear you have not done it again. <laughs> it was so fantastic. Right, and I thought it, you were amazing. I feel like it speaks to like what a great so that was like yeah like the next year in Dallas and I feel like it speaks to like what a great community Healthy Voices is that like I mean that I could kind of have this presentation or this like stand up routine that I didn't even really feel nervous about because I was like oh this is gonna like people are into this because they're good people if that makes sense like it it felt very um, absolutely like a soft space to land anyway. yeah Yes. Yeah. And it was just it was a great. ton of fun. What a great audience. <laughs> uh, well, Lee, I, with that said, I want to thank you again so much for taking time out of your day to, to sit down and, and talk with Robert and I. It is always a joy. And um, we want to tell all of our listeners again how they can find you. So tell us again, what's your Twitter Twitter handle? Yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter, probably most actively, but not solely advocacy. I also use it for a lot of personal stuff, um, which I think is a great little mix. And so it's um, no, I love probably it. not me. If, if I could say anything to our listeners, I love it. Um, you always are spitting out like little some comic geniuses, but you also talk about some real realities of, of mental health and mm-hmm. and your and um and other things. And then there's every now and then there's a joke, and I'm like. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's a joke, but it's got to be some Canadian thing because I don't get it. It's <laughs> over my head. <laughs> I do. Sometimes I scroll back through my own Twitter feed and it's like a jarring transition where it's like, oh, here's a very serious issue that I'm very sincerely passionate about. And then here's like a, like a really like dumb pun or something. And I love it. Yeah, I it's, love it. It's jarring. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And um, our listeners, they can also find you on Facebook, right? Yeah, so facebook.com slash Lee Thomas Speaks. And uh, and then my website, LeeThomas.ca. Awesome. Robert, anything else 
No, that's it, Lee. We love you, and it was awesome having you on. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yes, thank you guys so much. It's always, always just such a joy to chat with you. Thank you, Lee. Thanks. And there you have it, Lee Thomas. Um, what an amazing uh, individual. I mean, so much good work that they're doing. Yes, and I, I absolutely love them to death, and and I encourage all of our listeners to please uh, go out there and follow Lee on all the platforms and uh, and see some of the amazing. I'm really excited to see the amazing work they're going to do once they they do get their their masters of social work and and begin eating disorders New Brunswick. I'm I'm sure it's going to be an amazing amazing organization. I agree. And until next time, have a good day, everyone. <laughs>